Alpha Bliss, author of Lesbian Fiction. And I'm Hermesis. Thank you for listening to our podcast where we try to talk about our journey in writing and publishing. But we usually get sidetracked by television or our cat. Meow. Welcome to Harper Bliss and Hermesis. Hello everyone, this is episode 124 of Harper Bliss and Hermesis. This is a special edition of our podcast. <laughs> we are on Christmas break. Still. Still. Christmas is over. Yeah. But but we are still on, on podcast break. break. Podcast break, yes. Not on altogether. Not, not on break. a break like Ross and Rachel. <laughs> no, no. No, no. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Carry on. Well, this week we have another audiobook excerpt for you. Mm-hmm. And it is of my... Latest book, That Woman Next Door, also read by the most amazing Abby Creighton. And so you'll get the first three chapters of that book. Yes. Right now? No. Okay. Listen, no. Enjoy. Enjoy. January. Chapter 1. Marie. I kill the engine and stare at the house. It looks so desolate in the middle of winter. Maybe depressing is a better way to describe it. After all, there's a reason we call it a summer house. Why couldn't my family have bought a place in Provence? I wonder for the umpteenth time since I started the drive down from Brussels this morning, along grey road after grey road with no prospect of any new growth for months to come. But I didn't come here for fun. I came to cold, wet, rural Brittany on the first day of the new year, with the single purpose of punishing myself, of looking inside myself to find out if I still have it in me to continue doing what I do after what happened. I suck in a deep breath and get out of the car. As I lift my suitcase out of the boot, a gust of wind whips up my hair, which I had cut a few days ago, to look my best for my self-inflicted exile. To what end? There's no one here to see me. My mother warned me the internet might be too spotty for a successful Skype connection after she asked me again whether I, a purebred city person, was absolutely certain I wanted to sequester myself in Brittany. I could have escaped to an exotic beach or ventured on a coast-to-coast road trip to the United States or embarked on a Scottish castle tour, but I chose wintry Brittany because for the first time in my life... I'm not choosing excitement. I have to say no to anything thrilling. I have to create the time and space I need to evaluate what has occurred. I need to find out how it could have happened, and if it will again. I know myself. Put me anywhere amongst a group of people, and I will pick out the most attractive woman and have her in my bed in no time. Or maybe I've lost that skill as well. It doesn't matter here. There are no people around. Our house is the only one on this road, although through the barren trees, I can spot another house around the corner, about a hundred meters away. Distant enough to not have to see or hear the people living there, if anyone lives there at all at this time of year. I unlock the door and am greeted by a cold blast almost as harsh as the temperature outside. I quickly close the door behind me, at least looks the way I like, Renovated to today's standards, at my insistence, I think of my warm, gorgeous apartment overlooking the Ixelles ponds in Brussels, the light that streams in 
through the large windows even in winter. I shiver. Up until a few years ago, this house's only means of heating was a fireplace, which may sound romantic, but is anything but when you run out of logs in the middle of the night, or when you wake up in the morning and your buttocks nearly freeze to the toilet seat. But I couldn't do the kind of penance I'm after in Brussels, surrounded by the luxury of my daily life and the convenience of a city. Something had to be stripped away. Something major had to give. The house in Brittany was the first place that came to mind, and here I am, trembling inside my coat on the dreariest winter day. For some reason, I felt like I needed to arrive on the first day of the new year, as though it matters, as though I have to start an actual prison sentence, mandated by the courts instead of this self-inflicted punishment I have chosen. I switch on the thermostat but keep my coat on. It will take a while before it's warm enough for me to relax. I transfer the rest of my stuff from the car into the house and unload the groceries I brought. I'll have oceans of time to dedicate to cooking because there are no food delivery services to the middle of nowhere. After I've dragged my suitcase upstairs and unpacked most of my clothes, I stand in front of the bedroom window. When there are no leaves on the trees, the house around the corner is visible from here. Because I'm already starting to feel like the only person left on the planet, even though I've only just arrived, I desperately search for a sign of life inside the house. I don't see any lights glowing behind the windows, but there's smoke coming from the chimney, even though I've been coming to Brittany on and on for decades, I've no idea who lives in that house. I've always considered my family's holiday home a house without neighbors. In summer, it kind of is, when the days are long and the nights warm, and you can sit outside in the lush garden until well after dark. Neighbors are of no importance. And I've never come here on my own. It's always been with either family or short-term love interest. The longer-term kind has never interested me until. I take a moment to remember the last woman I was with. It was the night before the day everything went wrong. I shake off the memory of Veronique again, although I know I will have to deal with it at some point. After the investigation into what happened in the operating theater cleared me, the hospital administrator advised me to see someone to help me process the incident. I chose to take a leave of absence instead. I don't want anyone's help. I want to solve this crisis of conscience and confidence that's waging a filthy war inside me by myself. It didn't feel fair to accept any kind of assistance because for the woman who died on my operating table, there is no more help. For her, it's all over forever. So why should I deserve any kind of help in dealing with what I did? The lights in the cottage beyond the trees flickers on. For an instant, I consider switching the bedroom lamp on and off to signal my presence. Instead, I think I might take a walk over there tomorrow. Chapter 2 Olivia My feet hit the treadmill in such a satisfying way today. This is why I run, I think while my fists pump the air in a rhythmic motion. To feel like I'm flying. To feel strong. To feel like I can do anything. I increase the speed so I can go a little faster, so I can empty my tank. Even though I've already run more than seven kilometers, my feet can still easily keep up. My treadmill sits in front of a window with a view out over the field at the back of my house. I only ever see animals, mostly birds and cows, 
or my cats, who like to wait for me to open the door for them instead of squeezing through the cat flap. There are princesses like that. What the? Something much larger than Deneuve and Huppert's furry bodies darkens the window. My already elevated heart rate shoots up a notch. What the hell is happening? I press the red emergency button on the treadmill to make it stop. Who on earth is this person with the audacity to trespass on my property and walk around my house? I'm not expecting any deliveries today. I prefer to group them as much as I can and have them delivered to the supermarket in town, where I can pick them up at my own convenience, instead of having my day disturbed by someone showing up at my door. A woman wrapped in one of those long, puffy coats stares at me through the window. She waves as I'm supposed to know her. I don't recognize her from the village, and I'm certain I'm not related to her. Not that any member of my family would show up at my house in the middle of any given Wednesday afternoon. I wipe the sweat from my forehead. I feel cornered. My first instinct is to leave the room and hide upstairs. She doesn't look like she's in distress, although I guess her car could have broken down. Her mobile phone might have died, and my house might have been the first one she came across. Maybe she does need help. I take a deep, shuddering breath to pull myself together. The woman tilts her head. She's probably wondering why I haven't opened the door yet. I suppose I no longer have a choice, as if I ever had one. I drape a towel over my shoulders because I'm dripping with sweat. That's an excellent run ruined. I'm supposed to be in the delightful throes of runner's high right about now. But thanks to this intruder, I've been robbed of the highlight of my day. I open the door and greet her with an unwelcoming glare. I'm not the type to give strangers a hearty welcome, a fact that's been held against me many times, yet I haven't changed. Bonjour, she says. I'm so sorry to interrupt your run. She hardly comes across as very apologetic. She looks Parisian with her expensive haircut and cashmere pashmina, but her accent is different. I arrived at the house around the corner yesterday, and I noticed signs of life here. Yes. This is not making any sense to me at all. The only other house in a five-kilometer radius is a holiday home owned by some rich Belgians who visit a few times over the summer. I've never had any dealings with them, and none of them have previously bothered me before. I just wanted to introduce myself. The woman extends her hand. Marie Diva. Enchanté. Hello. I give her hand the quickest shake I can. My palms are still sweaty. My body is cooling off too quickly standing in the door like this. None of this is ideal, least of all this woman who wants something from me that I'm unable to figure out. Olivia, as I wipe my sweaty hand on my leggings, a visible shiver runs up my spine. I pull the towel around my shoulders ostentatiously. You'll catch a cold if you don't cover up, Berry Diva says matter-of-factly. Duh. All I wanted is to close the door in her face. Wait. Is she expecting me to invite her inside my house? Don't worry, I'm a doctor, she says, as if that makes any difference. Look, I'm sorry, but I need to shower. Oh, okay. She studies me with an unnerving intensity. Would you like to come round to my house later for coffee or a glass of wine? What? Why would she even think that's what I want? Who are you again, and what are you doing here? I'm so sorry, Olivia. She has a very personable manner. She looks like she wants to grab my hand again, but has decided against it last minute, thank goodness. I'll be staying at my family's holiday home for a few months, so I figured that would make us neighbors. I thought it only polite to introduce myself formally. A few months? In the middle of winter? I shiver again. 
My sweat-drenched top is ice-cold against my skin. Marie nods. I need the time away from my life, she says. Okay, well, have a good stay. I attempt to close the door, hoping she'll get the hint. You don't want to have that glass of wine? I have an amazing Nuit Saint-Georges waiting to be uncorked. A wine snob on top of an abrasive trespasser. I shake my head. No, but thanks for asking. I'm about to close the door on this woman entirely, but she regards me so intently it's as though she wants to undo my wish to shut her out just by looking at me. Her eyes are a peculiar kind of green. Her cheekbones are alpine. Oh, I get it. She's one of those women who is so attractive, they're used to always getting exactly what they want. She probably can't fathom that I'm not interested in sharing a posh bottle of wine with her. I'd hate to have to drink it alone. Her voice is sweet as honey. Shouldn't have come here on your own then. I feel something furry rub against my legs. Hubert slips outside and then just sits there, attracting attention, her favorite activity apart from sleeping. What a cutie. Marie crouches down to make Hubert's acquaintance. If only Deneuve had decided to come to my rescue, she wouldn't have any of this. She probably would have swatted Marie Divard's perfectly manicured hand away if she'd tried to pet her. But not Hubert, who can't get enough of the attention. She's purring, for heaven's sake. What's your name, then? The woman asks my cat, as though she can reply to that question with anything other than a meow. I need to cut this short. If I stay exposed much longer, I'll be out with a cold for days, or even worse, bronchitis. Heaven forbid I need to see a doctor. I wouldn't want to have to call my new neighbor while she was the one who made me sick in the first place. That would be too ironic. I'll leave you to it then, I say, trying to add a polite smile. I can't help but very briefly wonder what I look like to this stranger, with my sweat-drenched clothes and my hair matted against my head. She must be very lonely to be inviting the likes of me to her place. Okay, sure. She looks like she's about to admit defeat. She turns to walk away. But before I can close the door properly, she turns to me and asks, Is this how everyone here is? Is it a Breton thing, this unwelcoming attitude? Just so I know what to expect for the rest of my stay. You're asking the wrong person. As I say it, I'm aware of how utterly rude I'm sounding and being. Clearly. She does walk away now. I guess that once again, I failed to make a new friend. I couldn't care less. Chapter 3, Marie I've been in Brittany for five days, and I'm already bored out of my skull. I've called my mother every day, and my sister every other day, making them worried about me because I can go weeks without talking to them. The only company I've had is from my antisocial neighbor's cat, which has clearly taken much more of a shine to me than its owner. There are the birds in the sky, and the occasional cow in the surrounding fields, the other day, a tractor rumbled past, and the noise was a welcome relief from all the silence. Traffic is so scant that every car that drives down the road is almost an event. Yesterday, zero cars drove past. If cranky Olivia goes anywhere, she doesn't drive past my house to get there. While I understand I interrupted her run, she could have been a touch more friendly. She could not have been any ruder. There goes my so far only hope for any human contact. On the way back from her house, I had to remind myself that human contact is not what I came here for. If that's what I'd wanted, I'd have traveled to the South, where people spend winter in the sun and might be more up for a chat. 
The problem is that I'm not used to having so much time alone with my thoughts. And I have to remind myself that I came here for that very reason, to no longer hide from myself. But I've had to resort to taking a sleeping pill every night since I've arrived. Otherwise, I wouldn't sleep at all. I keep seeing the devastation on the husband's face when I had to tell him his wife had died on my watch. It's etched into my brain, and his inconsolable grief shows up every time I close my eyes. Even so, the days have taken on a certain rhythm. I sleep until the effect of the pill has worn off, which is usually well past nine. Another new experience for me. When I open the bedroom curtains, I can't help but see cranky Olivia's house and wonder what her deal is. After leisurely breakfast and shower, I like to drive into Bonneau to buy groceries and go for a little stroll. I spend my afternoons reading, walking if the weather permits, watching excruciating daytime TV and cooking, until I declare wine o'clock at the ridiculous time of five in the afternoon. Evenings are long and lonely. I often find myself toying with my phone, scrolling through my contacts, daydreaming about what would happen if I called someone and asked them to join me. I haven't called anyone yet so far, but I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able to stop myself. A rustling noise captures my attention. The smallest sounds do, which is why I often let the TV play in the background. It's probably Olivia's cat again, scurrying through the bushes to the side of the house. She didn't even give me its name. I don't even know if it's male or female. Although friendly, the cat hasn't let me come close enough to figure that out. Maybe today it will. To my surprise, there's a knock at the front door. That can't possibly be the cat. My heart leaps into my throat at the prospect of another human calling at my house. I rush to open the door. To my even greater astonishment, it's my inhospitable neighbor with a bottle in her hands. I hope I'm not interrupting anything, she says. I was going to leave this at your door, but um, then I figured I'd give it to you in person. She thrusts the bottle in my direction. It's a locally fermented cider. The distillery that produces it is just outside of Bonneau. You can visit and take a tour of the premises. I open the door wide so she can't possibly mistake my invitation. Come in. I make it obvious I won't take no for an answer. And thank you. Only if you're not doing anything important, Olivia says, but enters anyway. You're very welcome here. I hold out my hands to take her coat. She peers at them with a puzzled look in her eyes. It's nice and warm in here. Best to take off that outer layer. Are those doctor's orders? A tiny grin appears on her lips. Correct. I forgot I mentioned I'm a doctor. I've never been shy about announcing my profession. The number of women I've been able to talk into bed just by using that line is vast. I take Olivia's coat and hang it up before escorting her into the living room. Wow, she takes in the room. Those renovations took forever, but they were worth it. I've been curious to see the inside of this house ever since. Feel free to have a look around. She casts me a wide-eyed glance, as if I've given her the keys to a long-lost kingdom. I, I actually wanted to apologize for the other day. You caught me at a bad time. I'm sorry I was so impolite. Thank goodness, I heave an audible sigh of relief. That's not who you really are. I briefly touch her shoulder and she all but flinches. Not the touchy-feely type then. I'm so glad you came over. I've been going a bit stir-crazy. I lead her to the lounge and invite her to sit. Why, she asks matter-of-factly after she has taken a seat. 
because there's no one around. It's just me. I study the bottle she's brought. Do you want to drink this, or would you prefer a glass of wine? Whatever you have open is fine. At least she's not asking for coffee. It's only four in the afternoon, but it's Saturday, and on Saturday, one o'clock comes early. Your cat came to visit me a few times. I go into the kitchen to fetch a bottle of red. Hubert likes to wander, Olivia says, as I return with a bottle and two glasses. Hubert? I cock an eyebrow. After Isabelle? Olivia nods, and I get a vibe. That kind of vibe. The kind I'd previously always have acted upon. I take my time pouring the wine. I study her face when I give her the glass, but it doesn't give much else away. My other cat's called Deneuve, after you-know-who. She's not as sociable. <laughs> She's more like me. Olivia chuckles as she holds up her glass. You're plenty sociable now, I say. I'll drink to that. I don't tell her that I would have invited the postman in for a drink if he ever had any mail for this address. Sante. Olivia takes a sip and nods approvingly. Not bad. Do you live here permanently? I look her in the eyes. They're brown and intelligent. Olivia nods, but doesn't hold my gaze. Did you grow up around here? I ask. My family are from Normandy, so not too far away. About a two-hour drive. Any particular reason you ended up in Bonneau of all places? Probably the same as you. Olivia's going to make me work for it. Even though chatting is not that big a part of my job, I'm missing the contact enough to put some effort into getting this conversation flowing. It's gorgeous here in spring and summer. My family's been coming down for a long time. I send her a warm smile. Yeah. She rests her gaze on me for a split second. This house is usually empty this time of year. Why does a doctor need to get away from her life? For someone so reluctant to listen, she seems to have remembered all the details of what I said. That's a long story. I need to do some more soul-searching before I can share my error with an uninitiated party. Okay. She gazes into her wine glass. Are you expecting any other people, or will it just be you? Just me. At least that's the plan. I've always appreciated that you don't rent out your house to God knows who in summer. She narrows her eyes. Olivia's quite fond of her privacy, that much is obvious. Where are you from, she asks. Brussels. The vibrant memory of the life I'm used to stings less now that I have company. Ah, the city the wealthy French love to flock to in droves, she says. Or so I hear. I've actually never been. You've heard correctly. Brussels is full of French people. It's like a much cheaper version of Paris, minus a lot of the charm, of course. I give a quick nod. I lived in Paris for a while, but things didn't really work out for me there. What kind of doctor are you exactly? I'm a neurosurgeon. For the first time since I qualified, it feels strange to say it. Of course, I am still a surgeon. I'm still qualified. I wasn't even suspended. I could go back to work tomorrow if I wanted to, if I hadn't suspended myself. Oh, wow. Olivia's eyes grow wide, the usual reaction. Cutting into people's brains? If you want to put it like that, I'm keen to change the subject, also a new sensation for me. I've never been the humble kind of surgeon, if one even exists. It takes a lot of confidence to, as Olivia just put it, cut into another human's brain. What do you do? I'm a translator, English to French. I do a lot of crime. I chuckle at how she expresses herself. Olivia looks at me funnily. 
It sounded like you're the one committing the crimes, I clarify. Oh, uh, right. She seems a bit thrown. No, I don't commit them. I just translate novels about them into French. Perhaps our senses of humor are not exactly the same. Maybe because she's French and I'm Belgian. Or maybe she doesn't think a lot of things are funny. Working on anything gruesome at the moment? I ask. She pulls her lips into a tight smile. Good heavens. Even if that vibe I briefly caught earlier is correct, I'm not sure she's someone I want to deploy my charm on. She seems like she would be far too much hard work. Before I might have risen to the challenge, I might have even relished it. But part of my mojo seems to have died along with the woman on my operating table. I'm actually working on a romance at the moment. After 10 years of almost exclusively translating crime fiction, I thought I'd try my hand at a lighter genre. And is it raunchy? Ha, huh, I surprise myself. Maybe the incorrigible part of me simply can't help it. I perk up even more. Olivia's cheeks redden. Because she comes across as so guarded, it's definitely the most adorable sight I've seen this year so far. Quite. It's an adjustment. Some words, I have to look them up because I've never heard of them. She takes a sip of wine and hides her face behind her glass as best she can. Straight romance? I might as well take the opportunity to see if my earlier hunch was correct. Gay. Two men. She gives a full-blown chuckle now. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, because I spent the better part of last week working in a chapter that involved a lot more penises than I like to deal with in my life. Her gaze skitters away, then returns. I'm a lesbian, and I'm not very well acquainted with the male um, organ. I hadn't expected her to just come out and say it, but why the hell not? Maybe this wouldn't be so much work after all. Maybe I can have some fun with Olivia. It feels like the clouds have opened and cleared a huge patch of blue sky, especially for me. I've seduced many straight women in my life, but put a lesbian in front of me, or better yet, in my lounge, in this remote house in Brittany, and it's like a red flag to a bull. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that. You can get all my audiobooks from all retailers and libraries. And why won't you get your first green climb? <laughs> oh, God, haven't you missed doing the podcast? <laughs> yes. Go get your first green climax now. So we'll be back next week with the first green climax of the year yes, now. Yes, of 2022. 2022. Uh, did we say Happy New Year? We did not. We did not. In the intro. So Happy New Year. It's 2022. Um, I am amazed at our professionality Yeah, th this again. one really, really is the most professional. In any case. <laughs> Happy New Year. We'll be back next week with a regular episode of the podcast. More of this. Yes, even it, more professional. Again, it will neither be professional nor profound. Yes. But yes, we will be back. And I also want to say that my next book, And Then She Kissed Me, which will be out at the end of January, will also be narrated by Abby Creighton. So, much to look, look forward to. So much to look forward to. Okay. In the new year. No, in this year. In this year. Okay. Until then. Okay. Tits up. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Harper Bliss and Her Misses. You can find all the episodes and show notes at harperblissandhermisses.com. We also have a favor to ask. If you could rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it, that would help other people find us. 
Thank you. Uh, 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 chiki chiki.